0: Hey guys, welcome to the Improvement Podcast, where the mission is to help young men develop their character, identity, and mindset in order to activate their potential and achieve their goals in life. Today, we have on another special guest. His name is Toby Passman. He is a neurophysiology researcher and founder of the applied neuroscience company, Roscoe's Wetsuit Neuro. Thank you for coming to the show, Toby.
1: Super excited to be on, Kamani.
0: I'm excited for today. And so just to give the listeners who aren't familiar with your work a little bit of background uh, information, could you tell them a little bit more about what you do?
1: Absolutely. So I work with the studying the electrical activity of the brain and then working with a variety of neurotechnologies that can actually uh, stabilize and improve the electrical activity of the brain. And the brain's electrical activity is basically tied back to you know every single facet of Kind of the human experience, whether that is, you know, your sleep, your energy levels, your mood, your ability to uh, you know succeed in, in work relationships, social relationships, uh, everything is kind of tied back to the biological basis of the brain. And that's kind of what I've focused
0: my career on. Okay. And so the first question that pops up in my mind is, what was it that pushed you to get in this field of work?
1: I had a natural curiosity, I think as a kid, as far as you know, why I was thinking the way that I was why, why I was behaving the way that I did. I was just I was a very curious kid. And that curiosity, I think led to me reading some pop psychology, pop neuroscience books in high school. And then I entered into college, not really knowing what I wanted to do. I entered as a business major, but I didn't really have any passion for those classes and then i ended up taking a biopsychology class that really blew my mind um, discussing kind of the biological basis of how the brain works on an electrical and chemical level and the electrical side of things we can actually measure with a technology called an electroencephalogram uh, which is referred to as an eeg for short And so that's kind of how I entered the field, working at an EEG lab and actually starting to uh, actually study this stuff.
0: Okay, so I guess you pretty much had a similar story to a lot of people that go into college where you might start off with a certain major or a lot of people end up getting degrees in majors where they just weren't really interested in the actual work or classes. And so that's great that you found something that you're interested in while you're still in school were able to kind of take that move and go into something that you were more passionate about. And so what are some of the, uh, the coolest projects that you would say that you've worked on?
1: Well, I would say utilizing some of this neurotechnology at a place I was working at outside of Seattle at like a peak performance facility. So I, I trained some Hollywood actors, um, pro sports athletes, some really uh, kind of top tier people who are looking to get the most out of their brain and utilizing kind of neurotechnology that I never even knew existed. Um, and, you know, so, so kind of working with those sort of people was, was a really cool thing for me, uh, but also seeing how this technology can benefit so many people with, uh, with substance abuse and mental health issues. That was my next job working at a treatment facility in South Florida. And that was, you know, I think actually probably more powerful for me in terms of just seeing people, you know, who are at the lowest, oftentimes the lowest points of their lives who, you know, were really, really struggling and, you know, kind of uh, hitting rock bottom and seeing how utilizing neurotechnology could uh, really help so many of them.
0: Hmm. Okay. And so what would you say were some of these specific things that you're helping the people develop that you worked with from celebrities and athletes even to uh the people you talked about at the at the other role like what were the uh like specific skills or traits that you're trying to help them to train or or improve with your uh with your work
1: sure so it you know was definitely much different kind of with the peak performance facility people would often want you know kind of to to sustain you know their ability to to pay attention or focus for long periods of time, you know working with a lot of kind of type A people who are you know go go go, have a million projects and are kind of just dealing with all of the effects of, of stress and you know needing to kind of be able to juggle a million things at once. So kind of helping to regulate their brains uh, so they can kind of bring it in the best way. Um, but then at the uh, the substance abuse and mental health facility, Uh, more so working on kind of improving people's sleep, I would say was often the biggest one because we would have a lot of people who were going through various uh, drug and alcohol detox programs. And one of the biggest complaints that they would come in with is, you know, as they're getting off these substances, you know, they're just not able to get a wink of sleep at night. So uh, starting to utilize these neurotechnologies would really help them just get to sleep and start to feel a lot less anxious, but there's so many, uh, wide reaches, you know, that this technology, you know, can really help with whether that be, you know, for, for sleep, for anxiety, uh, for peak performance, um, short-term memory, um, boosting energy levels. It's really all dependent on what people are kind of hoping to be able to get out of it, you know, in the same way that say, you know, uh, someone who starts up with, a, a kind of a bodybuilding or or gym program, you know, their, their goal might be to, to cut fat. It might be to build lean muscle. It might be to, you know, improve their endurance. It kind of depends on what they're hoping to be able to achieve. So in the same way, working with these, uh, neurotechnologies, it's much, much about what people are actually wanting to, to get out
0: of the program. Hmm. So it's really crazy how you guys have the ability to be able to help people with this wide range of different issues. It really is amazing to me that the technology is even to that level yet. I mean, of course, it's 2021, but for someone that's not in this type of field, you would think this is something from like a movie or like from the future or whatever, where you can hook up these devices to someone's brain and they see, you know, oh, they can focus now, they can sleep now or whatever else. And so another question I have about that is, at least this is the first thing that stuck out to me. We talked about the type eight people with focus and trying to do better, like in whatever role they're in. What exactly did the technology do to their brain that helped them to be able to focus more?
1: That's a great question. So, with uh, with the technology, so specifically like neurostimulation or neurofeedback, which basically are two different kind of approaches to to deal with the same issue, which is regulating the electrical. Uh, the electrical rhythms of a person's brain so those are measured as as brain waves and you know we might see dysregulation of a specific brain wave or at a specific location of the brain and in the research that might be linked to a specific uh, condition for instance just speaking on a, on a personal level i used to have a lot of difficulty with my verbal fluency i would in a conversation really be struggling to, to grasp for words. And it was, you know, so prevalent that it really interfered with my ability to have, you know, good kind of normal conversations. And I kind of on my own brain map, I detected some, some slowing at, uh, an area called F7, which is basically the left frontal lobe. So I was able to actually stimulate that area to kind of speed the electrical activity up there and i noticed some just immediate changes where i would be you know on the phone with someone say you know when i hooked myself up to start and then just going throughout as i as i ran the the neurostimulation session where you know i would be going from needing to pay attention to every word that i was saying to where i'm just playing on my phone not even paying attention to the conversation and i'm just you know completely fluently talking so that's that's a little bit um kind of what i have experienced and tons of other people experience similar things but it it really comes down to you know what brainwave is maybe dysregulated and in which area of the brain that dysregulation is occurring
0: oh okay so i see now that makes sense and so it kind of reminds me of like blood testing where like when you go to the doctor how from that they can see different shortages you might have in different areas like what your platelets or your red blood cells and they can figure out what underlying conditions are so it's kind of like the same thing except for your brain where it runs like this test and you can see the different areas where you might not be operating at like maximum performance is that what you're saying
1: exactly I think that's that's a great analogy and I think you know when you think about say if, if you had a heart issue you know and you went to a cardiologist they're not going to just ask you to describe, you know, how it feels. They're actually going to run, you know, a EKG or a stress test. You know, they're going to actually really examine the organ in which they're treating. And it's, it's kind of odd that for so long, you know, with psychiatry and psychology, we've just kind of blankly, you know, kind of given people psychiatric medications without really taking, uh, taking these kind of biomarkers per se of how their brain's actually working, because, you know, what, what work, what is going on with, with one person's brain might be completely different than the next person. And they might do, they might respond to two completely uh, different courses of treatment. But we're not going to know that until we actually kind of take a peek under the hood and evaluate the electrical activity of their, uh, of their brain with one of these tests.
0: Okay, gotcha. And so, my next question is whenever you do these diag- like the diagnosis or whatever, do you kind of have an idea of what in that person's life is causing them to have these different shortages in the brain waves in these certain areas? Like, let's say for uh, for focus, like diet or stress, like what would you say are some of the things that cause them to have these shortages that you notice when you do the brain mapping?
1: So that's, that's kind of the million dollar question right there. And that's something sometimes we can figure out, you know, so, so it's always essential that, um, with whatever setting we're doing the brain maps in that, we also kind of get a thorough, uh, kind of health history, kind of review someone's whole like medical history, uh, see if they've had any blows to the head, you know, concussions, even ones from long ago, ones, you know, where they, you know, fell off the steps, you know, when they were four years old that can oftentimes still lead to kind of long-term changes in the brain that might still be affecting them up to this day. Other times, yeah, it could be the result of of kind of chronic uh, poor sleep, um, a bad diet, a combination of of different kind of environmental factors, could be genetics. And it's not something that we necessarily are always able to uh, get a really uh, firm grasp on, but it is super important to to kind of get an idea of you know whether someone is kind of living sort of a uh, a brain healthy lifestyle, because the technology we work with it's the way I see it it's kind of you know another tool to have in your sort of you know kind of mental health toolkit per se, but if you're not getting you know enough sleep, if you're you know sleeping two hours a night and eating cheetos it's going to be a lot more difficult to achieve the sort of results that were work uh, that we're trying to achieve with this technology if you're not really focused on the basics
0: okay so that makes sense of course you know the type of fuel that you put in your body is going to have a direct effect on how it functions it's like putting regular gas as opposed to like premium gas at least i would think and so and the next question i have is, um, whenever you're going through the process of learning about these things, what were some of the habits that you had that were limiting your function that you had to change to be able to function at an optimal level? Mm. Can you elaborate
1: a little more on that question?
0: So you talked about sleep and other things and diet that could potentially limit your brain from performing at the maximum level. And so what I'm asking is what were some of the changes that you made in your life after gaining this knowledge that were, um, I guess, different from what you had done in the past.
1: I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I definitely changed my diet a fair amount. Definitely started eating a more kind of ketogenic, low-carb diet. Um, we've kind of found in research that uh, kind of consuming a lot of good quality fats are actually really essential to the brain, kind of contrary to what we've, in at least in the Western diet, kind of been told, you know, the, the sort of food pyramid where, told to eat lots of grains and, you know, it's, it's not necessarily the best idea for cognitive performance. So definitely incorporating lots of, of healthy, um, kind of coconut oil, butter, uh, you know, bacon, uh, you know, other kind of, uh, uh, you know, eggs, lots of that stuff in my diet. And I would say also finding ways to kind of calm my nervous system down. So I noticed that. I mean, that basically, you know, stress and kind of chronic stress really takes quite the toll on the brain. And if we can figure out ways to sort of deactivate our fight or flight response and really calm our nervous system, whether that be, you know, for me personally, I found uh, like meditation or yoga to be tremendously beneficial for me in sort of just uh, kind of reducing, reducing that kind of overactive overactive, uh, uh, sympathetic response and has enabled me to actually like think so much more clearly by actually kind of slowing down, kind of slowing down to speed up per se, you know, whereas kind of oftentimes we think about like, okay, how can we make our brains work faster, you know, and, and speed up our, our performance. But oftentimes if, if your brain is, is actually kind of working too quickly, that can actually hamper your performance because your brain is already working fast enough that anxiety is actually potentially uh, robbing you from that you know kind of peak performance
0: hmm. that's that's a perspective that i've never heard actually before where you talked about how trying to get your brain to move too fast can also cause negative effects because you know i know i do brain games on my phone and so i don't know if that actually helps or not but it's just interesting to think that if you're putting too much of a load on yourself, when it comes to like trying to develop your brain, it can give you worse results. So that's interesting to think about. And, uh, to go back to what you said about stress, I don't know if there's like quantifiable or, you know, like numbers or something that you could give, but cause you'd kind of try and give the listeners an idea of just how much stress can affect their performance.
1: Yeah. I would say, you know, just in terms of what we've seen with, with uh, research with the brain, stress shrinks an uh, shrinks uh, area of the brain called the hippocampus, which is really essential for, uh, for learning and memory. So if you're under a lot of stress and chronic stress, you're actually going to have a, a lot more difficult time, you know, say if you're, you're in school and you're just kind of constantly stressed with, with what's going on with your classes and with life. It's going to be a lot more difficult, you know, no matter how hard you're trying to, you know, absorb and, and retain all of that information that you're learning. Chronic stress can, can really be deleterious for your, for your brain function. Um, really the hippocampus is kind of the, the brain structure that gets hit the
0: hardest. Wow. I never would have, I never would have expected that actually. I can see how, how it makes sense, but I never would have thought that it's actually shrinking a portion of your brain, making it to where it's almost as if it's limiting the capacity that you have to be able to, to learn or do well. And so I can see how a lot of people that might come from stressful backgrounds, might not come from like an ideal home life, how they're, they're pretty much being held to a disadvantage by not having that stability. And then when they go into school, uh, just trying to learn and do the basic stuff the other kids that might not have this same stress at home are doing can be an issue for them. So that's definitely interesting to hear.
1: And to give you another example, you know, if, if you've probably ever had the experience or the listeners have had the experience of, you know, if you've say, put in tons of effort to prepare for a presentation and, you know, you've rehearsed it so many times with your, your, you know, in the mirror or whatever, and you feel like you have it down pat, and then you get, you know, you get up and go in front of the whole class and your mind just draws a blank, right? I mean, that's, that's a pretty common experience, with kind of with public speaking, and that's what's happening there is, is that's a different area of the brain, um, where the, the frontal cortex, kind of the the frontal lobe, the the area of your brain that's really in charge of a lot of thinking and kind of long-term planning, executive function, uh, the blood flow kind of completely is, is blocked and gets diverted to, you know, your muscles and, and, you know, to, to respond as if there was like a, you know something that was really threatening your life. You know that fight or flight response that used to prepare us. You know if we had to run away from the saber toothed tiger. You know it's it's that that built in uh, that built in response is still there. So even though there's not that same you know real threat to our physical well being for most of us, uh, you know things like public speaking can oftentimes trigger our bodies and brains to behave in that same way.
0: Definitely something to think about. And like you said, I'm sure that plenty of people can relate to that. Even when I was in college and having to do presentations for marketing classes that I was taking, it was pretty tough for me preparing and everything and then going up there and having to just spit it out and start. I mean, luckily I got it done, but I can definitely see what you're saying where there were times like during the presentation where I might kind of blank on what the next thing was, but then it would come to me like right at the last second. And so that's probably from the stress. Exactly. Yeah. And so you talked about meditation being one of the ways that you can uh, deal with that stress and make it to where uh, you aren't having those negative effects on your brain function. But uh, something that I've heard about, at least, and that I've tried has been like CBD oil and MCT oil. And so I just wanted to ask your opinions on that. I know like with CBD, it's supposed to help with like inflammation and, and stress and that sort of thing. And then with the MCT oil, what I heard about that is that apparently it replaces some sort of lining in your brain or, or something to that effect that helps you like just with overall brain function. Do you have like any thoughts on that? Is that true or is it just placebo or?
1: Both of those that you mentioned definitely have, have great research. I, I'm a fan of both. Um, as far as with, with the, the CBD oil to address that one first, they've definitely seen that that uh, calms an area of the brain called the amygdala which is really uh, the, the fear center of the brain that really generates that that fight or flight response. What's been interesting though, in the studies that I've seen is that they give people pretty large doses. So what I've seen is like something like, you know, like, uh, like I think it was like 400 or 600 milligrams of CBD oil. They found uh, kind of calmed people with, with social anxiety disorder. I think when they were giving like a, a you know, a public speech or something, your typical dosage of CBD, you know, might be somewhere between like, you know, like 10 to like 30 milligrams or something, maybe 50 milligrams. So it's, you know, it's one that I'm not sure. I think a lot more research needs to be done to see, you know, if, if we might need to kind of really increase the dosage uh, to get some of those effects that have been seen in the research studies. But I'm definitely definitely a fan of it, um, and then also MCT oil. Yeah, I think is is just great for general cognitive function. So what that's going to do is, uh, so so MCTs are basically the uh, um, sort of the uh, derivative of coconut oil, and it's just a great fat source. as I was talking about earlier, fat being really good for the brain. Good good uh, good sources of fat. And what that actually does is helps the brain burn uh, what are called ketones, which are uh, the fat bodies um, instead of what we usually burn is, is glucose, which we get from carbohydrates. Our brain actually runs way more efficiently on ketones. So it's actually like what you were saying earlier about kind of putting a higher grade of uh, gasoline into our cars. I view that that sort of deal with like the MCT oils in a very similar light. You know, if you're giving your brain ketone bodies to burn, it likes that way better in just converting that to, to direct energy compared to if you were to have, you know, a, a you know, powdered donut, that's, that's going to slow you down way more. So definitely a fan of MCT, uh, a couple other ones that, uh, that, that you didn't mention that I think are just worth mentioning for people that are work, you know, wanting to combat sort of stress and anxiety. I would say magnesium is, is a mineral Mm. that a lot of us are deficient in and taking, uh, taking magnesium, you know, either before stressful situations or, uh, just uh, like before sleep can be super helpful for people if they struggle with just kind of racing thoughts at night. Another one being L-theanine, which is a calming amino acid found in green tea. So that's like you know, if some of the, some people like get sort of jittery effects from uh, drinking a cup of coffee, but maybe they experience kind of a a more relaxed sensation from a cup of green tea. What's going on there is the the caffeine and L-theanine are very synergistic. So the caffeine kind of revs you up a little bit and L-theanine puts you into a, a bit of a more relaxed state Uh, where you're generating more alpha brain waves, which are really important for kind of uh, stress reduction and relaxation. So, so definitely those couple too, I think are, are great options for people, you know, safe, really safe, natural options for people to play around with too.
0: Okay. So the magnesium, that's a new one. I haven't heard about that before, but I guess in a way, I kind of have some knowledge about the L-theanine thing that you talked about because I drink green tea every morning will kind of like a mix. And so when you put the, uh, the MCT with the green tea and like this other one, it makes like some sort of combination It's supposed to be really good for your energy and mental focus. It's called titanium tea. I don't know if uh, you're familiar with like, I think it's Tim Ferriss. They came up with it, but that's where I got the idea from. But you take green tea and you also take this other one called, I think, Pu'er tea. I don't really know how to pronounce it, but I have like a, a big box of them. And you take both bags and put it in and you also add your MCT oil to it. It's like that whole mix apparently is supposed to be really good for your brain health and also for your energy.
1: Do you notice like a, a difference, like say in the effects drinking that compared to if you were just to have a cup of coffee?
0: Yeah. So actually, and the reason why I got into tea is because coffee had upset my stomach. But um, I definitely did start noticing a difference and I made that part of my morning routine it seemed like I was able to get like the get the gears turning a lot quicker uh, from waking up as opposed to just waking up brushing my teeth and hopping on the computer for work. So I definitely do think that it made a difference.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's a great idea to to put your body in a kind of fat burning mode right in the morning, you know, with with the MCT oil. Um, it's great to kind of stabilize your blood sugars throughout the day. So yeah, I mean, I think, Tim Ferriss is, is a guy I've, uh, you know, been, been a fan of his work for years and he definitely, definitely knows what he's talking about. So I, uh, I've got to try out that concoction myself.
0: Yeah. The funny thing about it is that I didn't even read about it in a book or like on a blog from him or something like that. I was just looking for different remedies for those symptoms, because I noticed that I would, it would be hard for me to like get it going and I would get tired in the middle of the day. And so before I was just drinking green tea. And so then I find out about this titanium tea, what he calls it. It's not actually like, you know, his own tea. It's just the mix, like I was saying. And I started to notice better results with that. And so I've kind of been doing it ever since. Nice. Yeah. And so uh, I guess the next question that I have for you is uh, for people who, let's say we you talked about like some of the things that you struggled with when, when you were younger. I remember one of the things that you mentioned. Uh, when we had our call to to get acquainted beforehand was how one of the things he struggled with the most was like social anxiety. And so something that I'd like for you to kind of touch on is what is the science behind social anxiety why do a lot of us feel it and then after that it'd be great if you could also give like some tips natural and you know through your treatment that people could use to combat that.
1: Absolutely And I think it, it ties great into the conversation that we've we've already been having because, you know, social anxiety isn't, you know, the, the, the biological basis for it is pretty similar to other forms of anxiety, which basically is, you know, kind of an overactive fight or flight response. Uh, there's too much activity in the amygdala, which we were talking about is kind of the fear center of the brain. And that uh, indirectly reduces the activity of the, the prefrontal cortex, which is what kind of enables us to socialize. So when you kind of think of that, uh, think of that playing out, where you know, you're sort of wanting to to socialize, and, you know, it it becomes very difficult to stay present and grounded in a social situation, when your brain is kind of saying, you know, fear, fear, you know, this is a dangerous situation, even though it's, it's not going to pose any real threat to your physical safety. But your brain is basically getting tricked into thinking that. And I think that that, you know, it it can become sort of a cycle where, say you were in a social situation, and we're fear, we're, uh, we're feeling all of that, that fear and anxiety, and then you stumbled over your words, or, you know, you said something uh, awkward or embarrassing yourself. And then it's like, that kind of becomes a cycle where it's like, then the next time you're trying to socialize, you remember how it went the last time you were socializing. And that, that increases the, the fear and anxiety because you remember it going poorly the last time. So it becomes this, it beca- can become this super like crippling cycle uh, as it, that, that's sort of what happened uh, with me. And I think I, I really noticed that just the more ways that I could find to really reduce, um, reduce that fight or flight response, just things like meditation, I started playing around with uh like float tanks, like sensory deprivation chambers, which is basically like where you you go and like you lay in basically this uh this water that's like this magnesium water. So you're getting the added benefits of the magnesium being super calming for your your nervous system, and then you're kind of in this chamber where it's completely cut off, you know, you're cut off from any of your senses, you can't see anything, there's no smell. um, And uh, you can't hear anything. And that really calms the nervous system in a super drastic way. But yeah, so I I sort of just started noticing that the more different modalities that I started incorporating, they all had this, the same kind of common theme, I would say, of really teaching my nervous system to, to just be a lot more relaxed. And one of the great things about the brain is, is its neuroplasticity. So our brains have the ability to, to change and reorganize themselves throughout our entire lives. So, you know, if, if you're, uh, you know, say you were so, super socially, I was very socially anxious when I was 18, but doing a lot of these different utilizing a lot of these different modalities, I was able to, kind of gradually see improvements in my social anxiety, you know, as I started entering into, you know, my twenties and now mid twenties. And I think that just speaks to, you know, the power of the brain to, to change based on the inputs that, you know, you give it. So yeah, uh, the brain's super malleable and it just needs to be taught. You know, if, if you're wanting to behave in a much less anxious manner, if you can just figure out ways to calm the nervous system no matter what it is uh, it's gonna usually result in a lot of benefits and then another kind of thing i would just add is what i was saying before about you know the verbal fluency was i think uh just a component of my social anxiety that you know i think was i i just sort of attributed attributed that to you know just being nervous in social situations i thought that's what was just causing me to sort of, you know, freeze up and uh, not think of the right word to say. But then when I actually did a, a brain map on myself and saw that slowed activity in my left frontal lobe and actually saw, you know, then started doing the research and saw that that slowed activity was linked to difficulties with with word retrieval, word retrieval and verbal fluency, uh, you know, I worked then to you know, with the neurostimulation protocol and work to actually speed that activity up as I was talking about before. And, you know, as, as I was then a lot more verbally fluent, it made me so much more comfortable in social situations. Cause I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, then being put on the spot and trying to think of something to say, and then worrying about what the other person is thinking of me while I'm trying to think of what to say, you know, I would just you know my brain would just kind of come up with those words um, much better so so just kind of biologically tuning my brain drastically improved my ability to socialize which I would have never thought was possible I just kind of assumed that so I, I that the social anxiety was just kind of who I was and that there wasn't really much I could do about it. But you know I think just firsthand just playing around with all of these different modalities, you know, I've come to realize that that's just, it's just a symptom of how your brain is behaving rather than, you know, who you actually are.
0: Hmm. And so something that's, uh, that's interesting to me, just listening to what you said, and then also stuff that I've seen from my own research is that it seems as though meditation is, I guess, a common cure for all types of different mental issues that you might be uh, suffering from, whether it's, social anxiety, stress, or, you know, trying to build your ability to focus. And so it's like a a natural remedy. It seems like something that could really just help with all types of stuff, just based on, you know, what you said too. And then also you talked about the, uh, sensory deprivation tanks. I, I tried it one time. It was, it was actually pretty cool. They had these, uh, this like floating room at this one place that I went to that also had like the cryotherapy and all that, like where they put you in like the I don't know, like the dry ice thing where like you're getting like the cold temperatures on you for like inflammation. But I went and tried that uh, that float tank thing. And it, it's pretty cool. It's kind of like the Dead Sea, like with all the like salt and magnesium in it where you just lay in the water and you don't even really sink into it. You're kind of just like laying on top of it. And you could even say it's like a, a better way to meditate because you have like absolutely nothing going on around you. It's just completely quiet. The Only thing you hear is like you when you like splash the water or something. So I I think that's really interesting. And something that those activities have in common is that for you to be successful doing this stuff, you have to be comfortable in silence and being alone, being comfortable with yourself, just only with your, your thoughts and your presence, or I guess lack of thoughts when you're trying to do a meditation. And so I can see how when you get into like a social situation or something, if you've practiced pushing thoughts out of your mind and becoming just comfortable with just your existence that can help a lot with those social interactions because one of the things that I would say is a symptom of that type of anxiety is how it causes people to be very self-centered and I don't mean like in a selfish way well socially it's kind of selfish you could say because whenever we do because I suffer from social anxiety too but I notice that whenever I'm talking to someone and I might be a little bit anxious about it I'm constantly thinking about me 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 uh, what, what might they see in me? How am I feeling? How, how do I look? Something like that. And you could say it's kind of selfish. And the people that are better at that and that have great social interactions, they tend to focus on the person that they're talking to. They're looking at that person, reading that person, getting cues from that person, getting a feel for uh, how that person is wanting to interact with them as opposed to always looking at themselves to try and see what they might be doing wrong or like how they might be uh, judged by that person.
1: Exactly. I think you you said it so well that, I mean, that's that's exactly it. And with, with meditation, it's sort of, I think, you know, calming sort of that that ego, which is what's constantly like judging, you know, ourselves, other people is constantly dividing things into good and bad. And I like this, I don't like this, you know, what's for lunch, you know, what am I got to call three people later today, you know, all of that sort of mind chatter, you can really calm that down through you know things like meditation um but yeah i mean i think once you once you realize that that's just a part of your brain or or really a better way to put it would be it's a a network of your brain called the default mode network that's really in charge of kind of constructing your your sense of self and that's what's kind of being on high alert if you suffer from social anxiety when you're in these social situations you're you're feeling like everything is sort of a, a threat to your your sense of self. You're wondering what, what does this other person think of me? Am I coming across, you know, in the best way? And rather than what you're saying, like, you know, just paying attention. What, what is this? What is what can I learn from this person? What what is what are they saying that's contributing to the conversation rather than just being like preoccupied with, well, how am I gonna, how am I gonna respond once they finish talking? So, I, yeah, meditation, I think, can be hugely beneficial in sort of helping to kind of calm that that system of the
0: brain down. Yeah, I mean, I think that's great, uh, because one thing I also say is that whenever you get into that mode of looking at them and not always reflecting on yourself in the conversation, it makes it to where you it, it seems like it just flows better because you're looking at things that they're saying and you're kind of getting a feel for what their interests are and what lights up their eyes as opposed to just thinking, okay, how do I stop myself from looking bad? And <laughs> In the end, it leads to you having better conversations, I would say. And so I think that's a very interesting point that we brought up and I'm glad that we touched on that. I feel like that could help a lot of people that might suffer from the same thing.
1: Yeah, and, and especially people, I mean, I, I I used to not even realize that I was, I was doing any, I, I didn't realize that certain people interacted with the world in which they didn't have this level of social anxiety you know i i thought it was just normal to to feel tense and be wondering a million things about you know what i was going to say next and i would almost sort of rehearse what i was going to say next like in my own head i would almost have my response to someone like you know canned in a way and it's just like not like a natural way to to conversate you know like what you're saying is i feel like really the practice of like mindfulness, like staying really present with with the other person with what they're saying. And then it, you start realizing that it naturally kind of gives you the next thing to say, you know, if I'm, if I'm listening to, you know, what you're saying, Kamani, then my response, you know, th- there was, is going to be something from what you've just said, that's going to trigger my brain to know how to respond to that. I don't necessarily need to, you know, sort of be up in my head, you know, rehearsing some, some kind of canned response.
0: And it's funny that you say that, that, uh, that was your experience where you felt like everybody suffered from the same thing. If anything, I feel like it was kind of the opposite for me, or at least maybe I was just only a paying, maybe I was just only paying attention to the people that I felt like didn't struggle with that because it seemed like all the people that were doing what I wanted to do in life or that I respected it seemed as though they didn't have that issue. And so I felt like something was wrong with me. I would wonder why is it that I can't be that charismatic or, you know, get these certain results socially, but that person can, that person is normal. I must have some sort of issue with me that I need to, to figure out. And in a way, I guess you can say it's kind of true because, you know, if you look at the social anxiety, it is like a personal issue. And I would say a lot of it came down to, uh, to confidence, but yeah like with those people they just happen to develop that skill whether it was you know through their upbringing or maybe just through the hard work that they might have had to put in to to make change to where they could finally get out of their own head and truly connect with people
1: exactly yeah and i think it's it's some people It just for whatever reason maybe they were brought up in you know a household where they would where they, you know say had a bunch of siblings you know that's something where you know, just from early on, you're being exposed to all of these social situations. You know, I I was an only child, not to say that's necessarily the, the cause of my social anxiety. But I have just wondered, you know, it's like, I had so much time to, you know, play, you know, be by myself and pay attention to my own thoughts and be focused on whatever, you know, with school, but I lacked a lot of that kind of early, like social experience that I think then, I had to sort of uh, you know work on developing those social skills later on whereas you know some uh, you know another person that that may have just come naturally to them and maybe they would have had to spend a ton of time you know figuring out how to pass algebra you know whereas that just was something i didn't even think about it just came naturally to me so yeah it's it's I think what, what's super important, though, for like anyone that's that's listening who suffers with social anxiety, you know, no matter how crippling it is right now, I think just understanding that that's, that's not who you are. That's just the, uh, the sort of result of the way that your brain is functioning right now. And that's not at all uh, fixed. You can do tons of things to change and improve that.
0: Thank you for saying that. Because I think that by you saying that it can help a lot of people that are listening to this, they might have thought it was a fixed thing to be able to get into a, a growth mindset. And so I think that definitely does help. And then one thing I'll also say to add on to what you said before about developing skills and how even though you might have been lacking socially, you might have been good with algebra and all that, is that I think there are offs to everything. Any type of skill you develop, you know, in all likelihood, you have to make a trade-off somewhere, whether it's your time to to learn the skill or something else that that developing a skill might take your attention away from. And so one thing I will say that was a benefit of being the type of person that was very reflective and self-centered in a way socially is that it does boost your your self-awareness. One thing I'll say about the people that are further on the extrovert side is that, you know they might be so comfortable that they might not realize how they may come across or where they might work different lapses that they might have in their communication, as opposed to that person. That's more on the, uh, the reflective side, maybe on, we can say the introverted side, you tend to have a pretty good idea of maybe what your, your faults and flaws are in different areas where you may be lacking. And so it seems as though it's easier for those people on that end of the spectrum to be able to make the adjustments as opposed to the ones that, or on the extroverted side, it seems like uh, might have to learn in different ways.
1: Yeah, yeah, that that self awareness for sure. That's that's essential. And I've o- honestly thought that it's like almost like you know at, at certain times I'm almost like too self aware to my own detriment. You know where it's like you're, you're so aware of of how you're coming across to other people and of you know of your social anxiety. But really, I mean, it's it's kind of a superpower when you think about it, that as you're saying, a lot of people may not have, they may not even think about, you know, how they're coming across to other people or, you know, what, you know, the sort of thoughts and beliefs that they're telling themselves, how that is getting kind of played out in their lives. That's something I think, like, just to echo what you're saying, I think like a lot of introverted people, like we, we spend a lot of time thinking about that sort of stuff. So in a way, I think it's kind of a superpower.
0: Yeah, definitely. And one thing I'll add to that is that if you have the, uh, I'll say the courage, not only to be able to be self-reflective, like we were saying, but to face it and actually try and make changes, it makes you unstoppable. Like for the people that have the ability to be self-reflective and figure out where their, their weaknesses are, the ones that actually have the courage and the, uh, the discipline to actually sit down and create systems to try and make a plan to change it. It's like, if you can do that, if you can work on these things, these mental blocks, anything outside of that is a piece of cake. Because I would say really the toughest work that I've done in my life, at least, has been working on the things that I struggled with inside. you know, as far as my habits and those sorts of things. And so once you can get to that point to where you can face your issues and get rid of that ego, that's stopping you from being able to realize where your lapses may be and you can make those changes, it seems as though it can boost the results you go on the outside uh, like so much more.
1: Well, and really when, when you think about it, just from kind of a, a neuroscience or psychology perspective, it's like nothing in the outside world is, it, it all starts from, you know, a thought, you know, a, a series of thoughts. That turn into ideas or beliefs that lead to certain actions that we're taking, you know, so it's, it's almost just like our, the way I view it is sort of our outer world is just kind of a direct reflection of our inner world. So the more we can work on kind of sculpting that inner world to be most advantageous to us, I think, then we just start seeing, you know, more and more positive results show up in our lives.
0: I think that's the key takeaway from this. And so for those that are looking to do that inner work and might be struggling with some of the things that we talked about, we talked about, uh, you know, natural remedies and things like meditation, uh, other mindfulness practices and that sort of thing. But where could the listeners find you if they decide that they want to take some different methods that are, I guess, not traditional, like things that are like along with what you do.
1: Sure. Sure. So, well, to start with just if people want to find out more about, um, different kind of, uh, you know, exercise and how diet nutrition, uh, impacts their brain and how they can kind of start hacking some of that stuff. There's a uh, six steps to better cognitive performance, uh, PDF that I offer people. If they just sign up for my newsletter at, uh, Roscoe's wetsuit just sign up for our newsletter and we'll send you that, um, just six easy ways that you can start right now and directly impacting your cognitive performance. And then, yeah, for people, uh, for people who are interested in utilizing uh, whether it be nutrition, exercise, uh, sleep hygiene, uh, different sort of nootropics or brain drugs, uh, smart drugs who want to get kind of more in depth with this stuff. I do offer neuro health coaching, and you're, I created a, a special uh, uh, deal for your listeners. If people um, go to roscoeswetsuitneuro.com and uh, use uh, the code HIM21, they can receive 15% off their first neurohealth coaching session.
0: Okay, great. And so uh, overall, I think we offered a lot of value in this episode, and I'm sure that Uh, with the promo and everything, you'll definitely offer a lot of value to those listeners that want to try out your services. And so thank you for that. I really appreciate it. And so that pretty much wraps everything up. But yeah, thanks again for coming on the show. I really appreciate it, man. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your day.
1: Likewise, I I appreciate your, your really insightful questions and comments.
0: Yeah, thank you for that. All right, then take care.
1: Likewise.